and welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. Boy, are you in it for a treat today because we have a very special uh, guest. <laughs> He's been absent for a little while. Bob, welcome back. Thanks, Ray. I, I apologize for, for my absence. It was a very busy November and thrilled to death well, we, to be back. We, we kept the seat, you know, hot for, warm for you. So. No, no, nobody took my place while I was gone. I was glad to see. Or do you have, or you have you still have are, something to tell me? No, Bob, you should know. <laughs> I mean, how's, how's this going to be for some kind of a... A sycophantic kind of line. There is no replacing you, Bob. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And uh, my, again, my apologies and thrilled to death to be back. Well, uh, good. And we hope you're thrilled to be listening. This is St. Paul's Letters to America. And this is the program that seeks to answer the question, if St. Paul were alive, living, breathing in the flesh today, and perhaps besides just cruising around the Mediterranean, he happened to take a trek across the Atlantic, and came over here and saw what was happening in our country and then decided to write us a letter, what would he tell us? We are going to tell you what he would tell us. We tell you every week what he would tell us. And uh, we have a lot of confidence when we do this. Uh, not because, you know, we're so, you know, smart and, and brilliant, but because what St. Paul wrote 2,000 years ago is still relevant. And there's only one only one way way things that old could still be relevant in a modern world that has changed so much and that is because they are tied to the truth. Or are they? I mean is that really the case we we believe that to be true is it? And so one of the things we do on this program is we take these writings from St. Paul and we compare them to what else is out there and we see which makes more sense. And whether or not we're doing things in a manner that's consistent with St. Paul, or if not, do they, you know, how do they diverge? And if there is a divergence, which is the better way to go? That's what we try to do. And every week we, we look at some different event that's happening in our world. Uh, this week, it would be uh, another tragic school shooting. We seem to have these. Uh, every so often, sometimes they come in bunches. We hope, we sincerely hope and pray to God that's not the case this time around. But a 15-year-old kid this time gave off huge warning signals. You know, I've got a problem, I've got a problem. And nobody, well, not nobody, um, but enough uh, people, especially people that were close to him, didn't listen. The result, four students are dead, seven students are injured. Uh, an entire community is traumatized. I heard some strange figure like there are 80 school closings because of copycat threats or I don't know, but other, there, there are a number of school closings. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, other people around the country, you know, don't get any kind of inspiration from this uh, truly evil news story. Um, but we're going to talk about that. And come up with maybe a, a take on it that you don't normally hear. And offer a suggestion as to what we can do to help our kids to avoid this sort of thing. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and uh, Bob, you want to re read the letter? Sure. So we've got a, we've got a, a writing from St. Paul that we're going to be uh, examining in this context. So, 
What is to be done, brothers? When you assemble, one has a palm, another an instruction. A psalm. A psalm, excuse me. I'm going to let you read it. You've got to read it right. That would be worthwhile. Let's try again. (laughs) Since I rolled right over that word. I got most of the word right. You got four out of five. I got four out of five letters. That's pretty good for me. 80%. That's a B. That's a good score. That's a good score. That's a good score. Let's try again. So, so what is to be done, brothers? When you assemble, one has a psalm, another an instruction, a revelation, or an interpretation. Everything should be done for building up. But if there is no interpreter, the person should keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Speaking to oneself and to God. That's our focus. Um, our program title, Silence is Golden. Golden not just in um, oh, a, a figurative kind of way, but in a very real kind of way. Um, silence can lead you to the height, in the words of Cardinal Sarah, um, the most important, the highest part of our human lives. Why is that? Because that's the time, if we spend that silence as uh, spend that time of silence in prayer, that is the time we can come in, we can come. See, now I'm having trouble pronouncing things. <laughs> I've caused us a real problem <laughs> this, this morning, contagious. right? I show up after not being here for a month and stir things up and mess them up right away. Um, but in all serious, that is the time we can come into direct contact with God. The maker of the universe, the savior of, you know, all of us, uh, the author of eternal life, we can come into contact with that person. We can actually come into contact with that person. And so the que- and so just, just, a, just a, a question, a thought. If this school shooter, this 15-year-old kid by the name of Ethan, if he had come into contact with the real, living, loving God. Would he have been in the place that he was in? Now, he, um, I mentioned earlier that he gave off some, some warning signals. On the very morning um, of the day that this shooting took place, this shooting took place about, I think, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and on that very morning, a teacher was passing by uh, his desk and found a note on it. She was so alarmed that she immediately took a picture of it on her cell phone, sent it to the principal. The principal called the parents in, and they dropped what they were doing and immediately went to the school. This is all before the shooting. And they went to the school, and they had a consultation uh, with uh, with the school authorities and, uh, and with Ethan. Um, and what was it about this particular note that was so alarming to this teacher? Well, it included, according to the uh, district attorney, uh, who relayed uh, all of this in a press conference, she said that there was a note that contained a drawing of a semi-automatic handgun pointing at the words, the thoughts won't stop, help me. The thoughts won't stop. Now, for some guy who wrote that kind of a note on the morning of November 30th and then in the early afternoon of November 30th, runs around his school, his school, 
and starts shooting kids he knew, what kind of thoughts would those have been? I think it doesn't take any great leap of imagination to figure out what kind of thoughts those were. And he didn't like those thoughts. And he wanted them to stop, and he asked for help. Another section of the note had a drawing of a bullet. And there were words written above the bullet, the words, blood everywhere. He draws a picture of a bullet with the words, blood everywhere. Um, the, there was, so there was a drawing of a gun and a drawing of a bullet. And between the drawing of the gun and the drawing of the bullet, there was a third drawing. And that was a person. A person appeared to have been shot twice and bleeding. And there were word, and below that figure of this shot and bleeding person was a laughing emoji. A laughing emoji. Yeah, I would want those kind of thoughts to stop too. Further down the drawing are the words, quote, my life is useless. And also the words, quote, the world is dead. This was obviously a very disturbed person. And when I saw the words, my life is useless, I could only think of uh, something else I, I came across uh, recently. Um, and I'm going to, I think it's, I think it's him. Oh, yes, here it is. There is a, uh, uh, an alleged, alleged visionary. Um, she's written various books. Uh, her archbishop down in uh, Cochabamba, Bolivia, has approved these books. And what I'm going to read, read from has received his imprimatur. But... You know, she claims to have revelations from Jesus, um, even though uh, the bishop gave his imprimatur. Uh, I think there's a outstanding um, directive from, I think it was Pope Urban VII, that all private revelations are um, subject, you know, to the approval of the Holy See, and they're not necessarily... Uh, to be taken as, as absolute truth. Although her revelations were meant for public uh, uh, distribution, according to her, these are the instructions that she received. So I don't know, you can make of it what you will. But, you know, it was interesting to me from this book that she wrote of these supposed revelations that she had with, with Christ and his mother. There are things in here that just seem to have a ring of truth about them. So that's why I'm going to refer to them. But how about this one? Supposing Jesus told you, as uh, she claims uh, he told her, quote, I want to always make use of you, even in those dark moments in which you think you are useless in everything. How about it if this shooter who wrote, my life is useless, could hear somebody tell him, what Jesus thinks of you is that if he was the only person in the world, he still would have died on the cross, you know, for this, for this person, for Ethan. If even when he thinks his life is useless, even when he's in the darkest of dark moments, Jesus can always um, make good use out of his time, his gift of life, uh, if he opens himself up to Christ. Um, you know, that it's just a message, and you don't have to, you know, 
refer to this visionary from Bolivia. I mean, in countless, I mean, in scores of church writings down through the ages, the message is there that everybody is of ultimate, extreme, infinite value to God. We are loved with an unbounded love by God. We are precious. We are worth something. Heck, Bishop Sheen made a, a career, uh, to some degree, out of a television series entitled Life is Worth Living. Uh, that is just a recurring message over and over and over again. And, you know, would there have been some way that this kid could have heard that message? What if he had spent some silent time in, in prayer? I mean, it's, it's just a thought. But, you know, if we're not doing that ourselves— doesn't mean we're going to become school shooters, but, I mean, do we have problems? Do we have mental turmoil? Do we have things that disturb us that perhaps if we turn them over to God, if we spent time in silent prayer and did the hardest of hard things, quiet your mind? I mean, do you ever just try it? Just try to close your eyes and say nothing, have nothing on in the background, no TV, no radio, no nothing, and try to get rid of all your thoughts. Thoughts will come flooding in. I mean, if your experience is anything like mine, thoughts will come flooding in. And even when you try to be silent, you can manage it for seconds at a time, and then those floods, thoughts come flooding back in. And to just to try to close them all down, what you find is that um, you stop your mind from racing. And it's a peaceful time. And then, just, just maybe... If you listen well enough, you'll hear him talking to you. You'll hear thoughts of some sort. You know, you're not going to necessarily. I mean, maybe, maybe you would. Maybe, maybe you'd. You know, maybe you're going to be one of those special people. But for most of us, you're not necessarily going to hear actual voices. But you'll hear thoughts that maybe you think, mm, boy, those you know didn't really originate with me. Um, that's happened to me at times, uh, usually in, in silence before the Eucharist. And where did that come from? And you just you realize that there's something good about it. Um, there's something there's there's a quality about it that you think it just it, it, you can't take the credit for it. <laughs> you just you know, and you know I mean, if that kid had that experience, you know, if his parents had had that experience, if his parents. You know, we, we have responsibility for people around us or the responsibility of, of taking advantage of the opportunities to do good for people around us. What if we spend time in silence and in prayer? Um, could we not, you know, see a, a, a clearer way to conduct ourselves? Um, it's, probably, it's probably irreplaceable. It's probably required it's probably something that you need to do. And if you don't, and just live in the midst of the hubbub and the storm and the whirlwind of noises and messages and things and activities that are happening around you, when are you going to be able to, when are you going to be able to take time to take stock and decide, are you doing things right? Um, is it possible that, you know, I'm doing something wrong? You know, it was said, that uh, and again by this by this visionary down in Bolivia, that um, according to much message that she heard, um, 
imperfections cannot last in solitude. Or they can't hide, I think maybe was the, was, is, is the, they can't hide in solitude. And maybe that's why some of us are fearful of periods of, of quiet. Uh, we don't want to really take a good look at ourselves. But that's what that's will happen. And, and it can help you see yourself better. I mean, how are you going to be able to see yourself better if you're always busy and always amidst noise? Uh, you're going to be seeing a tree and you're not going to be able to see the forest. It's just the way it is. You know, for me, Ray, I, uh, I have a true and deep belief. I, I don't know that I've seen this written by anybody else. I've never read it. It may be out there already. But it's my belief that God is talking to us all the time in a very soft and quiet way. In Isaiah, as he was trying to find God, he heard a thunderstorm, and he thought maybe that was God, and it wasn't. And he heard a roaring fire and thought that was it, and it wasn't. And he heard an earthquake, and he thought that was God, and it wasn't. And then he stopped. He just stopped. And he heard a whisper. He heard a small amount of wind in the trees. And when he did, he heard God speaking. And so to me, I truly believe God is talking to us all the time in a voice that's below the noise level, it's below the crowd, it's below the honking of the horns, and it's below the conversations and the bells going off on our phone, and it's below all of that. But when I truly listen, and I do clear my head, and I let go of everything else, I hear him speaking. I hear God. And just as you said, that was beautifully put, they are thoughts that are not mine. They are thoughts that I would never come up with on my own. (laughs) They are thoughts that show up from someplace that I know doesn't exist in me. And he is there. I I think God is talking to us all the time, our conscience, uh, through other people. God is talking to us all the time. We just get too busy to listen. And what a shame that this young man could not have heard that voice, could not have heard God talking to him before all of this went. Maybe it was. Maybe that was God drawing those drawings and and God helping him do that, to express that, to get that out somehow, to get somebody to find it. I, you know, and maybe, maybe it was the devil inspiring and maybe those was, types of drawings. It could, could have been all. That, that's exactly right. It, it could be all of those things. And that leads to the confusion. And that's why we truly need to be silent and just listen, because I think God is there. In those in those moments, I truly do. You know, it was uh, so Cardinal Sarah. Uh, he was wasn't he the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith? I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But Cardinal Sarah from and I I don't really recall which African country, but he's from a country somewhere in Africa. Um, but he held a, a high you know position in the church, and besides that, he's got uh, he he's written books and he's um, He's spoken a number of places, and uh, he really has a, a passion for trying to help our modern world. And he wrote a book, a book, an entire book on silence called The Power of Silence. And it's interesting, Bob, that you bring up that uh, incident involving Elijah on the mm-hmm. mountain listening for God and the wind and the fire and so on. Yep. And... Uh, Cardinal Sarah uh, mentions that same episode, and he uses it to draw this conclusion. 
there's a there's a difference between how the world looks at silence and how silence may appear to people who have a belief in God. He said silence is typically defined as a negative. For example, the Oxford English Dictionary defines silence as complete absence of sound, the fact or state of abstaining from speech, the avoidance of mentioning or discussing something, absence, abstaining, avoidance. They're all negatives. Hmm. It's something that is not there. Something is not there. However, Cardinal Sarah says that, quote, silence is not an absence. On the contrary, it is the manifestation of a presence, the most intense of all presences. God's there. God is in the silence, as was indicated in that story that you just uh, quoted, Bob. He's in the silence. And we'll find him there. We'll find the most intense of all presences if we spend time in silence. You bet. Um, You know, it's not just uh, people who have a religious background who think silence poses some benefits for us. For example, there's an article in Psychology Today that looks at silence as something very beneficial. There was an article I found in Psychology Today called The Power of Silence. I think that was the title of Cardinal Sarah's book, the same, same title, I believe. Um, da, 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 yeah, I think so. Um, anyways, um, and in this article, the author uh, talks about uh, that silence allows us to connect more deeply with ourselves. Uh, This deeper connection is the basis of an authentically engaged and self-actualized life. We can discover more of who we are. It talks about uh, communicating verbally and then being silent. So even in conversation, if we focus on the times when we are not speaking, there are benefits to be drawn just from that. And it talks about, this article continues, the verbal communication expresses to the world what is going on inside of us. The silence gives us the chance to digest what we have just said and to discover, you know, uh, it's a form to explore new territory in ourselves. Uh, You know, we can discover how we really feel. It's an opportunity for self-discovery. So, of course, this article, the focus here is all about us, 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 you know. But even though there's, there's no component of any other person being involved in the silence. Um, it does talk quite favorably about silence, even if we're relying on nothing but ourselves. Um, and that <laughs> can pose some problems. But even if we rely on nothing but ourselves, from a psychological standpoint, a lot of benefits, as opposed to never you know, taking times for quiet reflection, quiet meditation. Or, for example, you can go to the Harvard Business Review. From a business perspective, there's benefits to silence. There's a guy who wrote an article, and uh, his grandfather, when he was a child, uh, used to uh, rise every morning and spend his first 60 minutes in silent reflection. And so this guy developed the same kind of practice, and it proved quite beneficial for him over 30 years in his, uh, in his business life. And he had it down to a routine. And he can tell you about what you're supposed to do the first 30 minutes. It's all about goal setting, short-term, mid-term, long-term. Next 10 minutes, you assess your progress. 
the final 10 minutes of the first half hour, you take note of your unmet goals. Then the next 20 minutes, you're supposed to spend reading and then, you know, uh, reflecting on the reading. And the final 10 minutes, you have a cool down where with self-reflection. And he says, if you believe in a higher power for communicating with God. Now, that's really kind of interesting. So do, if you do believe in God, you're going to spend out of this hour 50 minutes with yourself and, then, and 10 with God. I mean, if you really believe in God, don't you think perhaps maybe it should be 50-10 the other way around? Uh, because what does that mean? If you believe, if you believe and he is real and he is there, I mean, take advantage of <laughs> Take advantage of that time. Give, give him the whole hour. Give him the, give him, yeah, why not? Um uh, there's a third article I came across, a uh, woman, a uh, degree in psychology, this woman in the UK, and then a, a master's in clinical psychology. Um, and interestingly enough, she talks about the fact that in the last six months before she wrote this piece, she had three silent retreats in a six-month period. Um, she's married, has two teenage children. She notes that some people do feel uncomfortable with silence. She talks about silence having the capability to hurt or heal. Talks about the fact that some people, they feel loneliness or isolation in, in periods of silence. And I think that's true. That's certainly true. And I would, I'd venture something else on this subject. I would think if you keep to the strictly secular, if you keep to the strictly psychological, if you keep to this idea that you got to rely solely on yourself for your help. Um, if you have problems, maybe you're not going to want to spend that time in silence. Maybe it is something to be afraid of. Maybe you are going to feel, like, isolated. I mean, how are you going to feel? I mean, if you're relying on just yourself, you, 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 and then you spend all this time every day maybe in silence with yourself, yeah, I can understand how that might make you feel isolated. But consider the possibility of communion, 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 <laughs> back to my pronunciation problems, communion with God. You know, Ray, for, for me, I, as I've been in the diaconate formation program now and for four and a half years, and certainly a half a year to think about it, to pray and to, to make the application, get all that done, so five years or so, the biggest change that I've gone through... Um, in listening to the teaching and the church and what I should be doing is about, instead of trying to do things myself, to allow God to do everything. So when I have a problem, I shouldn't try to solve it. I should try to give it to God and allow him to help me figure out what to do and not be just driven by myself but all things are for God. Let God be involved in all difficulties and all decisions, all those kind of things. So the biggest change has been exactly that for me. For instead of spending quiet time thinking about myself and how difficult life is and how am I going to deal with this problem that I have, I'm giving it to God and handing it to him and saying, Lord, you take this. What is it that you desire me to do? And then spending time listening to him. And I think that is huge. That is huge. It's made such a significant change in my life as to rather than me driving all with all of my shortcomings and difficulties and all the things that could go wrong if I make the dang decision, 
to listen to God and to listen what it is that he has to say and what he desires, the chances of me getting it right have gone up. The only real problem is if I don't listen well, and it's still an issue. I still got things to do. But man, I, I couldn't agree more. The, the answer is to contemplate, to be quiet, but to be there with God and let him help you through. You know, so if, if you're struggling with problems and you don't spend any quiet time uh, in silence each day, uh, maybe you might want to think of doing that. There's a uh, spiritual renewal program called Exodus 90 uh, for men written by a couple of seminarians. And uh, there's quite a following that it, that it has now across the country. Um, and for 90 days, you deprive yourself of a number of different things. Um, to focus on the things that you, you deprive yourself a lot of comforts, conveniences, different things that you enjoy in order to focus more on the things that are truly important. But one of the features of that 90-day program is to spend 20 minutes at the beginning of every day in silent prayer. 20 minutes, that's all, just 20 minutes. But you'd be amazed how much of a difference just 20 minutes can do. Um, you know, there's uh, the, the continuing with this this article by this uh, by this woman who, who wrote about her silent retreats and the benefits and the problems with silence. Um, you know, she talks about the fact um, um, that um, you know, she, well, she talks about doing meditation. She talks about wilderness experiences going on just in, into nature. She refers to herself as a practicing Christian, but she doesn't, you know, base her article on that. It's just she talks about different studies uh, that have been done, which note different uh, benefits, health benefits. For example, um, you know, just, I mean, actual physiological benefits, actual biological benefits from quiet silence, meditation. There have been studies, she refers to studies that have shown it helps reduce blood pressure. It boosts the immune system, uh, helps hormone regulation, even helps it helps prevent arterial plaque formation, if you can believe it. And then there are all kinds of psychological benefits, creativity, focus, self-control, self-awareness. Um, so, you know, there's all of this evidence out there that um, this, this, is, this is beneficial, this is advantageous. Now, we started with this reading from St. Paul where he talks about, you know, um, just hit the microphone there. But he talks about, you know, um, how you should keep silent. Um, if there isn't somebody who's doing a reading, reading a psalm, you know, reading, you know, something out of the Bible, um, keep silent and speak to yourself as these secular psychological authorities are, are referring to. Speak to yourself. Speak to yourself. It's a good thing. And to God. And the reason why St. Paul obviously advises uh, us to do that is because he's there to be spoken to. Um, so anyways, so there you have, there you have some of this. Uh, so, you know, I mean, if you get caught up in the whirlwind, maybe you get off, off course, off track. And if you get off track, maybe you get hor horribly off track. Now, we're speculating here that this kid in Michigan, you know, uh, didn't, uh, you know, spend quiet time 
in thoughtful reflection uh, or prayer. But boy, you know, he definitely wasn't a guy who had self-control. Um, so maybe the speculation is, you know, uh, maybe there's a fair chance that it's warranted. But anyways, um, well, let's take it a step further, right? Okay, so, hey, it helps reduce blood pressure, you know, self-control, all the, you know, blah, 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 just from silent meditation, going out into nature, doing all that stuff, without even praying to God. There's all these, all these benefits. What happens if you did take it a step higher? What if you did, you know, speak to God? What about, what about that? Um, you know, what does that, uh, what does that offer? It offers the opportunity to um, actually get into a relationship and actually get into a relationship of love. Where can you speak to God except in prayer? And if you do, a silent, you know, take silent time, spend it in prayer, silent prayer, without, you know, memorized, without using memorized words, but just talking to him, telling him what's on your heart, trying to clear your head and listen for any thoughts that he might want to put in your head in response, um, you'll end up in a relationship. I'll tell you something. It, it was very strange. I, one, uh, one time when I was in Eucharistic adoration, uh, I had some questions that were eh, not necessarily burning, but questions that were uh, pretty active in my mind. I'd ask these questions, and I'd go on with my own kind of thinking. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't quiet, and I wasn't listening. Um, but anyways, and then, I don't know, about 10 minutes after the first question, something came into my head, and I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. Um, that kind of answers that. And then 10 minutes later, it happened again, and then another 10 minutes, it happened again. And, and after it happened the third time, I realized someone's speaking to me. These were things that were not coming from me because I had the questions. And somebody could say, well, yeah, but you had the answers in there all the time, and you're just talking to yourself. It's not how it felt. That's just not how it felt. And it was amazing. I had a, and when that third, after that third time, and something occurred to me that was like, that was an answer to this question that was, that was perplexing me. Because, uh, you know, like I said, there were multiple questions swirling around. And after the third time, I thought to myself, someone's, this is, this is wild. I, I just, I stepped back, you know, you were a little bit, a little bit all, a little bit um, kind of amazed, you know, and a little bit, and certainly humbled. You know, somebody was paying attention to, to what I was struggling with and was I had the sense somebody was talking to me, and I knew it was it was talking. It was amazing, it was amazing, and it's no coincidence that that happened in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Because, yeah, I mean, he's there, he's absolutely, and he's he is present. Anyway, and it doesn't silence is a, is a neat thing. I as as you were speaking, my head wandered to some of the greatest moments in my life, um, and immediately popped into my head. I remember um, my ex-wife and I were having trouble having kids, and we went through trying to have kids using the medical community and 
they introduced us to in vitro fertilization, and we said that's not going to make it. Those are inappropriate ways to use the body and and do the wrong thing. So we put that off, and then we went to adoption. And after, I think, five or six years of trying to have a child one way or the other, we were successful in adopting. And I was off away from the family when the baby was born, when my first child was born. And I immediately was trying to arrange transportation to get across the country to California where he was born and was able to get there about 24 hours after he was born. And when I did, I went into my mother-in-law's home where my ex-wife and the baby were laying asleep on the couch together. And not a word was said. I simply looked at my son for the first time. And I could tell you what was around, and I could tell you the time of year, and I could tell you I don't remember it. I have a terrible memory, and I don't remember many things. But not a word said for something that seemed like an eternity. It may have been two or three minutes, but just gazing on my son for the first time. Those kind of things are all in silence. If I think about the most special times in my life, it's, it's then. It's when I truly listened and heard God speaking to me and telling me I was worth something. I was worthy to do something different with my life than where I was that was in complete and utter silence. Those are wonderful times to open up and allow, just like you talked about in adoration. Just let God be there. Block off the rest of the world and let yourself drift into what God desires and what he wants. And if you give him that opening, God will certainly take advantage of it. He's, he's there and talking to us. Uh, you, you did it again, Bob. So <laughs> you, you brought up something that uh, I had... Uh, I've got written material on. The first one was that reference to First Kings and that experience with Elijah. I, yep. I had that in my materials here. Uh, well, you did it again. Uh, you're talking about not needing words. Yep. Well, it just so happens that Fulton Sheen uh, wrote about that in his book, uh, Three to Get Married. Um, and he talked about the fact that, quote, those who do not yet love one another deeply have need of words. Those who deeply love thrive on silences. Um, and that's what you're talking about, just looking at the other person, just looking at your son, mm. and just you know, having things you know, wash over you. Uh, there's a lot of communication going on there. There's, you know, there's a lot of feeling. There's, uh, you know, there's a lot of self-awareness. I mean, my goodness, you know, I've got this person, you know, and this person is now in the world, and you know, he's part me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there are times for those people that are really close to that there can be a lot going on even in the silence. We don't need – sometimes it's just a look. Um, they can, you know, see something in your eyes. Uh, sometimes it's a gesture. You don't need always to use words. What's that famous quote from St. Francis of Assisi, right? Uh, if you want to preach or you want to evangelize – um, you know, if, if necessary, use words. Uh, right. I'm, Preach a gospel every day, and when necessary, use, use words. words. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that can be done without without words. Um, uh, so uh, Cardinal Sarah, like I said, wrote this uh, wrote a book, um, and uh, that book uh, he gave an interview on that book in October of 2016 to a French newspaper. Uh, the text, uh, transcript of that. Uh, interview was then translated into English and appeared in uh, an issue of Catholic World Report. 
But Cardinal Sarah goes on at length about silence and uh, the benefits of silence. And he says, God's first language is silence. Where do you talk to God? You, do you, are you going to have voices? Are, are you going to be that special, you know, clairvoyant, mystic, you know, special person that actually hears God speaking? You actually hear audible voices? Well, for most of us, that's not going to happen. But as you said, Bob, he talks to all of us. He wants, I mean, he's a living God, caring God. Um, his first language is silence. And Cardinal Sarah says, it is time to rediscover the true order of priorities. It is time to put God back at the center of our life. Continuing, actually quoting him, this is the truly urgent thing to rediscover the sense of God. To rediscover the sense. It's urgent. Urgent. Um, he says, we need to enter into silence. Without it, we are in illusion. The only reality that deserves our attention is God himself, and God is silence. He waits in silence to reveal himself. Powerful reflections on this from a man who absolutely believes in a living, caring God who is concerned with everything that happens in your life. And if he is there waiting to spend time with us, waiting in tabernacles for people to come in the door, waiting just, you know, in our bedrooms, living rooms, kitchens, um, waiting for us to acknowledge him, waiting for us to simply, you know, take a moment away, turn the TV off, and, you know, just think about God, waiting, waiting for those moments. You know, uh, you know this, this, this is the God that Cardinal Sarah has no doubt is there. And, um, you know, if you're not spending that silent time um, to look for him, I would dare say, if you do, just 20 minutes a day, and do it honestly and openly, you'll find him. He, you know, you'll find him, because he, he does, he cares like you cannot possibly imagine. Um, Cardinal Sarah says, silence is not an idea. It is the path that enables human beings to go to God. God is silence, and this divine silence dwells within a human being. Um, it was none other than St. Teresa of Avila who wrote a lot about this. Uh, she wrote a how-to on, you know, getting closer to God. I think it was designed mostly for the nuns in her order. But nonetheless, it is classic, of course, of Catholic literature. And she talks about interior, the interior castle, or it's otherwise known as the mansions. She writes, while I was begging our Lord today to speak for me, since I knew not what to say or how to commence this work, this book, which obedience has laid upon me, an idea occurred to me which I will explain and which will serve as a foundation for what I am about to write. I thought of the soul as resembling a castle formed of a single diamond or a very transparent crystal 
and containing many rooms, just as in heaven there are many mansions. Because isn't it? I mean, isn't that what Christ oh, abs- said himself? That absolutely. In my Father's house, there's many rooms. And you, you bet. She says, if we reflect sisters, again, to the, you know, the nuns in her order, if we reflect sisters, we shall see that the soul of the just man is but a paradise in which God tells us he takes his delight. And if you get this book, you'll find all this discussion about you know seven levels of this interior castle that's in us. And what she suggests is if you want to find God you know, in prayer, you go inside you. He can be found inside you. And, of course, that's true. I mean, you know, in, the, in Scripture, St. Paul tells us um, that, you know, the human body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you believe in the Eucharist, that's God coming to be inside you. And don't get me started on Eucharistic miracles, like one that's, because I can go through hundreds of them, like one that happened to Sister Bridge McKenna, who had just gone to communion. I guess I'm going to start myself on this on this road. She had just gone to communion, and coming back, this picture appeared in her head. She was coming back and then knelt down in the pew, and this picture came into her head. And she saw she saw Christ. And she saw this tent, a tent. And you know, lots of tents in the old old testament, right? I mean, heck, the Ark of the Covenant used to be kept in a tent. Um, and what, and uh, the transfiguration, they wanted to erect tents and so on and so forth, a lot of tents. Anyway, she saw a tent and she saw Christ. And this tent was ragged and shabby and had holes in it. I mean, it was dilapidated, you know, and dirty. And he was going to go in there. And she was like aghast at this. And she, you know, almost pleading, said to him, don't, don't go in there. I mean, you know. You're Christ, you're God. I mean, you, you deserve a lot better than that. And then she heard a message come to her. And it said, why not? That's, I live there. And then an understanding came to her. That shagged, rabbi, uh, that shaggy, uh, shabby, ragged. Okay, again, pronunciation problem, sorry. Uh, shabby, ragged, you know, a whole written tent was her. She had an understanding that was her soul. And of course he was going to go in there because um, he loved her with a love that surpassed any kind of resistance to going in there. More than anything, he wanted to go in there. More than anything, he wanted to help this person who has sinned. And, you know, if she's Guilty of such sins to make the tent look so bad. I'd hate to see what mine looks like. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, he dwells in us. So, you know, I mean, how about this for an idea? How about this for an idea? What if Ethan had been told at a young age? And I don't know, maybe he was. We're just guessing and speculating and maybe doing so dangerously. But uh, you know, just, just, suppose, just suppose that he wasn't told or wasn't told often enough about this. And what if he was told by people who he trusted, uh, people who firmly believed in this, 
And again, maybe, you know, he was. And maybe his parents did that. Maybe his parents truly believed in this sort of thing. So just guessing here. But what about just any kind of troubled person who, was, who has not been told this, this message clearly or often enough? What if they are told as a young person? There is a God. He is living. He is loving. He sacrifices for you continually, not just 2,000 years ago in our time, but now. Every time that we sin, um, you know, taking that offense upon himself and still being willing to forgive, so therefore continually sacrificing for us. What if we're told that he's there and he waits for you if you take some time to just go to him in prayer? Just him. Nobody else, not talking to anybody else, nothing out of the background, just silently talking to him. Um, you know, if you can come to the place where you can believe that's true, um, I mean, are you going to be so troubled that the world is dead, as he wrote, uh, that I am useless? As, he, as Ethan wrote. I mean, if we're not, you know, first of all, if we're not spending time in silent prayer, um, what are the benefits that we're missing out on? And if we are, do we have opportunities to tell other people about the possible benefits of this? And if we don't, uh, and you got to be, you know, always very, and, and, and very, you know, careful about, you know, how you do that so you don't seem overbearing. Uh, but if we have opportunities uh, in small ways or, or large or maybe just by example to help other people understand that those opportunities wait for them too, um, you know, I mean, and, and if we're not doing that, I mean, are there glorious opportunities that are being missed? You know, one of the things that happens, Ray, is every one of us, including me, are sinful, make mistakes. Some of us, like me, make a lot of mistakes, some of them rather grandiose and troubling and difficult. Yet what God does in that silence is he lets us know that we're forgiven, that no sin is too big for him, and what he lets us know is that he has already died for those sins. He has paid the ultimate price for those sins, and that those sins will only separate us from God himself if we allow that to happen. All we need to do is acknowledge the sin and let God know that we're sorry. We are truly contrite that we really didn't want that, and God will forgive us that sin completely. Some of us at different times in our life believe, no, that's not possible. I have sinned so bad, that sin is so bad, Lord, that I know you would never forgive me. And yet every one of them, he will. He will forgive every sin. And if we can understand that, I think the next thing to understand is every one of us is like that. Everyone is a sinner. There, there's not any best among us pitiful sinners, right? This is, this, this is a race between people who are truly at fault, are truly guilty, and then you make the realization that God loves every one of us. No matter what, what we've done, no matter what difficulty we've had, 
He wants us. He wants us back. He wants us badly. He will do whatever is needed to let us know about his love. To me, that comes in silence. It's not something you convince someone of. It is a moment of quiet where you make the realization that I am truly a sinner and it is only through God that I can be forgiven, truly forgiven. That's what silence can bring. Yeah, you, uh, um, you, you again, uh, bring up a, a good point. It is, there is this struggle. Uh, we have, we're continuing this struggle with sin. Consider this and see if this also doesn't have the ring of truth. This comes uh, from Catalina Rivas again down in Bolivia. And uh, according to the messages that uh, she claims, the enemy that all of you have to fight is not outside, but inside. Um, and she also talks about a message where it says, must empty yourselves of yourself. You must progress from your limited world towards the interior of the unlimited being of your God. So if God is in us, as the Catholic Church always teaches, um, if God is in us, and if God is unlimited, if he's infinite, that's the world in us that we can explore. Just imagine it. Anyways, uh, that's our discussion for today. Uh, we hope you have found it provocative, interesting, and uh, you'll join us again. But before we go, uh, we're going to leave you uh, with a prayer, as we always do when, when Bob is Bob is here to uh, give us one. So please, Bob, if you would. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, allow us truly to come to know you through your Son in quiet silence. Allow us to hear you, to hear what you're saying and direct us, and always take that time just to be with you. Because with you, wonderful amazing, impossible things can happen. And separated from you, all things are difficult and bad. Allow us truly to be quiet, to stop, and to simply love you and allow the good things to come. We pray all this through the wonderful and glorious name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all for listening. Until next time. God bless.